stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. So as part of our special series here on Growing Greater that's taking a closer look at the energy sector in the greater Philadelphia region, we're actually privileged to have with us a representative from what I would call one of the greatest collaborators in the greater Philadelphia region. It's the president and CEO of PJM Interconnection. It's Andy Ott. Andy, thanks for taking time out to join us. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Share with us a little bit about how do you actually describe the type of work and industry and organization that PJM is? Yeah, well, PJM is the largest regional power grid operator in the world. Think of us like the air traffic controller for the power grid. So the owners of the grid, the utilities like Pico, PPNL, they hire us to coordinate the grid on a regional scale. So we essentially do coordination of the transportation of electricity, the generation of electricity, the distribution of electricity. So customers essentially can be able to access grid services, if you will, on a larger scale. And I know there's a really long, proud, and deep history of the organization here in the greater Philadelphia region. Mm -hmm. Does the terminology or the lettering PJM actually stand for anything specific? It does. And in fact, we were birthed here in the Delaware Valley. And the P... Pennsylvania, J, New Jersey, M, Maryland. So essentially some three visionary companies back in 1927 actually got together and said, you know what, if we're going to provide this new thing called electricity to folks, we doing it in a collaborative way or actually make it more reliable on, on a uh, regional basis. And that was sort of the birth of what we called a power pool. And that makes a lot of sense. And that was kind of at the heart of my reference earlier around the ultimate collaborator, because I love the fact that PJM was actually formed around this idea of let's work better together. And how can we do this in a way that makes more sense for everybody? Right. Sharing resources and economies of scale, efficiency, just making services better and cheaper for customers was really the basis for it. And it continues to be the basis. So those deep roots of uh, 1927 founding, your organization has really evolved over time. Share with us your reach today, even though your headquarters still remain here in greater Philadelphia. Exactly. So now we cover 14 states, 65 million people. So we have some of the large cities, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Illinois, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Virginia. So we have quite a reach. And I think the evolution, if you will, of the growth has been all because of the economies of scale and the efficiencies. It's all been voluntary. Companies just join voluntarily. So I love the fact that PJM has actually evolved over time and different kinds of organizations have chosen to become part of the PJM kind of system. Share with us how that's evolved over time. Well, again, the industry itself, power industry, has evolved in the sense of we had many of our states, eight of them within our region, had developed a competition retail choice. So instead of just having the local power company be your only choice for electricity, you have you know, a lot of choice now, over 30, 40, 50 companies in Pennsylvania. So what we started with eight electric utilities. Today we have over 1,000 different companies that participate in the PJM regional community, and it's power generators, renewable technologies, wind, solar, alternative technologies like battery companies, 
You have innovative companies like competitive retail providers. You may get a, something in the mail that says, I'll give you air points if you buy my electricity, that kind of innovation. So you really, you have banks, you have financial institutions, uh, in addition to distribution utilities. So the scope of our uh, participation has grown just astronomically. And is it fair to say that PJM is a membership organization? Yeah, we are a membership organization, a member-driven organization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's an energy company. We have a fair number of different types of energy companies, oil companies, gas companies, coal companies, you know, and then folks who also participate as just power companies. So, so many different diverse interests. And so it's really a not only a member-driven, but a collaborative, as you say, organization. One of the things that really stands out for me when I think about and learn more about PJM and its history is how it ties in well with kind of what we are proud of in the greater Philadelphia region of being a region of firsts. And while I know this is only going back about 22 years or so. In 1997, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission approved PJM as the nation's first fully functioning what's known as ISO, Independent System Operator. I think that's really interesting and really cool. Why was it the first as opposed to another part of the country, if you will? Yeah, well, again, I think the the notion of a power pool, this collaboration between utilities, we were the first in the world in 1927. So what our role being expanded so we're responsible for reliable operation of the grid, for planning the grid into the future, for operating commercial markets for power. And there was really no other region was equipped to make that leap that quickly because we had already had a history of collaboration across the state boundaries. So for us, it was, a, you know, the step was a medium-sized step as opposed to a huge leap. And I think we got up and running very quickly. And our success story with, you know, I said the astronomical growth mm-hmm. was very rapid. And I suspect that part of the reason that PGM was able to get up and running so quickly is because you've been doing it for so long. Yes, we've been doing it for so long. And our members, the people participating, were used to this notion of, hey, you know, we're going to get together and we're going to do this as a region. Right. And even though we're competitors, which many of our companies compete with each other. It's similar to some of you know, the airlines, for example. They compete with each other, but when it comes to safe flights and reliable power grids, that's the time to cooperate. Yeah. And then five years later, in 2002, PJM became the nation's first what's known as fully functioning RTO, Regional Transmission Organizations. What's right. the significance of that and also the significance, again, of being first? Yeah, again, well, the significance of being first, again, was being leaders. And yeah. I think not only our members being the leader of the region, frankly, the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Maryland, the state of Ohio, stepping up and being leaders. And I think, you know, whether it be political or business-wise. So the notion of us evolving into an RTO is really the scope and scale of what we were doing came up to that level. So we were no longer just an independent system operator. We were actually a regional transmission operator. So I think that that sort of badge of honor, if you will, or that designation came from the federal government, and it was a recognition of our scale. And how about some of the peers within the U.S., certainly, and maybe even around the world? Are there others? If there's a sister organization, the PJM, in the South or in the West, are there similar kinds of structures? Yeah, there are. In fact, very similar in the Midwest. There's one out in California. There's some up in the Northeast. So there are others. There's six other organizations like us. We're the biggest. We're the oldest. But yes, there are others within the U.S. And then outside the U.S., we do, like in Australia, we have a similar organization, Chile. Colombia, and some parts of Europe. So yeah, the concept of efficiencies through larger collaboration across regions, countries is becoming more and more of a standard. 
And I know that there's lots of benefits to this, obviously. Right. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. It would have been something that people saw value in dating back even to 1927. Share with us some of the insights around what some of those benefits are. I know it's, you know, a lot of it's around planning and planning for the future is really key, but it's also ensuring that there's a steady supply that meets the needs. Exactly. So it is relatively easy from an engineering perspective to plan for what's your growth and power to me and how are you going to increase the transportation capability for power lines, et cetera. The key, though, is if you want to do it economically and you want to do it as reliable as possible, having those collaborative or companies share resources, instead of each company building its own generator, you build one and share it, the concept. So the notion of it's a better way, it's a more efficient way, it's a cheaper way. So what that not only did for customers, but think about the regional economy. If our power is 10% cheaper because of that collaboration, all the industrial customers in the region, all the commercial customers in the region, all the residential customers in the region benefit because the power companies were flexible. And that's really what the basis was. So people looked around and said, my goodness, these people are doing it the right way. And a lot of people copy what we were doing. What's the alternative, Andy? If people didn't participate in this kind of unified collaborative structure, what kind of situation would we be in? So we have something we call the value proposition. You know, why do we exist? What's the value we provide? We have to earn that every day. $3 billion is essentially the annual savings of having this regional collaboration. So if we took it away, the price of electricity across the region would go up by essentially a factor, you know, 15, 20% translates into about $3 billion a year. So the the reality check is it would still be reliable. It would still be done. It'd just be more expensive. Right. And that's probably one of the biggest things that the average consumer, the average observer may not even appreciate. Frankly, most of us don't appreciate what PJM does because it's kind of behind the scenes. And we come to a point, I think, in our society where we just kind of take it for granted. You flip on the lights and they go on. But that's not always the case. There are moments in history where there have been challenges and have really enhanced the need for a collaborative approach to ensure security. I think there was a a moment back in uh, probably 10 or 15 years or so ago, I remember there were some controlled brownouts. If you could talk a little bit about those experiences and what we've learned from them. So essentially back in that period, in fact, I I was actually in a power control room at the time. The good news for us was PJM was actually spared. We really didn't go down, if you will, very much, just right on the edge of our system. System. But New York City was black. Most of the state of New York was black. Uh, Michigan was out. Some portions of Ohio were out. So the notion there was, you know, in order for them to get the power back on, we actually became their source of startup power. So the notion that we jumped in and said, hey, we're going to exercise our capabilities to help you guys get yourselves back up and running. And that notion of collaboration, cooperation, even though they weren't part of our, if you will, uh, membership, and we have procedures to do that. And we do that to the South, we do it to the West. But if you think about geographic diversity, one thing that we learned as we grew is it doesn't get hot everywhere at the same time, or it doesn't get you know freezing cold everywhere at the same time. So if Chicago is under a sweltering summer, we might be able to take power from Pennsylvania and send it through Ohio to uh, Chicago. That kind of regional diversity has been something that's been a uh, fantastic benefit to the region. And I think for Pennsylvania, by the way, Pennsylvania is a huge exporter of power, of, of energy, and frankly. Hmm. So that benefits Pennsylvania because they get to sell their power all over uh, regional states. And it really accentuates the importance of being able to collaborate within an industry and across geographies. It makes really perfect sense. Folks, we're talking with Andy Ott. He's president and CEO of P. 
TJM Interconnection. And Andy, we were talking about geographic diversity. You had referenced a little bit, and I'd love to dive in more to how the energy sector is evolving, wind energy, renewables, those kinds of what I think are evolving, if not, I suspect, more evolved than most people appreciate beyond traditional electric generation. Yeah, we are seeing just a tremendous evolution. So, you know, 10 years ago, probably 70% of all the electricity produced in our region was coal-fired generators. Today, about 30% is coal-fired. You got about 30% is nuclear generation. The other 30% is gas. And then the other 10 is this alternative technology, wind, solar, and other types of renewables. And I think what we've seen is this growth. And for us, the growth has been more diverse. So we're actually more diverse than we ever have been. And it's been not only, again, a benefit to this region, but a benefit to the customers themselves, because now they have more choice. We're finding customers care now. They actually care about what the source of their electricity is, which is something that really nobody cared about five, 10 years ago. Because I would suspect the average consumer is more educated, more knowledgeable about the impact of energy generation on the environment. So to your point, they want to know, is there energy coming from a solar or a wind source as opposed to a coal or some other source that maybe they're not as comfortable with? That is true. So certainly the state of Pennsylvania was a leader, again, in the the notion of allowing customers to make that choice because instead of having the franchise utility be the monopoly and the only place you could get power, now have this capability as a citizen of Pennsylvania to shop around. And this notion of you can shop for green power, wind power, solar power, you know, other types of combinations. So I think that has made customers be more aware and more informed, if you will, about their choices. You had mentioned 10% or so generated through wind and solar. And hydro. And hydro. Mm -hmm. How do you see that evolving over the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years from now, those percentages changing drastically? I think they'll change steadily. Drastic, I don't think you'll see them change like 10% a year. Right. But I do think you're going to see a steady increase in renewable generation. I don't think you're going to see a step change. But I think 10 years from now, you could have 30% of the power being produced by these these types of technologies. I think the notion that offshore wind, so big wind turbines being put offshore is, is a, an, an untapped mm-hmm. uh, resource in this part of the world. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about microgrid because it's a relatively new term to me, and I'm not sure if the average consumer and listener, frankly, appreciates what a microgrid is and, and frankly, how our region in greater Philadelphia is really, again, at the forefront of harnessing this technology around a microgrid. If you could share with us a little bit about what this microgrid technology is and how it's benefiting and, and being incorporated into the energy space. Yeah, the notion of a microgrid, and I'll keep it out of my engineer speak, I mean, mm-hmm. it's really like, think about, you have a more intelligent way, if you will, to use electricity. So you might have something like a smart thermostat in your home or you might have a smart controller, if you will, on a commercial building or on an industrial site that says, I'm going to use electricity based on some kind of condition. The other thing about a a microgrid is it may have generation embedded, like a solar panel on the roof, you know, a wind turbine, you saw it down at the Eagles Stadium. Sure. They have some wind turbines. So that collectively then, so they can generate power, they can consume power, they can consume it with a smart, if you will, computer. That's really what a microgrid is. So really it becomes then, instead of just you turn your switch on and electricity comes out, right, you actually intelligently use the power. And that really is what the microgrid. And I must say in this region, it has been tremendous. 
tennis. You have Princeton. The Princeton microgrid is fairly famous, uh, mm-hmm. not only in the U.S., but around the world. You have the Philadelphia Navy Yard, which we're affiliated with. It's just a tremendous uh, resource for greater Philadelphia to showcase. Right. So, you know, this notion of what I guess is referred to as energy diversity, you know, whether it's coal or natural gas, solar, wind, hydro, why is that so important from your vantage point, not only as an engineer, but also as the leader of an organization that's distributing energy across 14 different regions or states mm-hmm. and the District of Columbia? Why is that diversity such an important component? Well, you think about the old axiom, don't have all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. And I, this notion that there are threats to delivery of certain types of energy. And again, unfortunately, we have certain folks who now want to attack infrastructure. So this notion of if you have different types of sources of power or sources of energy, you're less vulnerable to any one either act of God or intentional attack. So if you think about hurricanes, Hurricane mm-hmm. Sandy, if you remember that, we're in a much sure. better spot these days because Hurricane Sandy took down the same type of substation, and now we have a lot more diversity in that, so we may not lose as much of the system and can recover quicker. So think about, you know, as power goes out, you're going to get it back quicker because we're more diverse. And that's really how the average person, I would suggest, think about it. Your restoration times, if you haven't noticed, have gotten quicker over the past 10 years in almost every area. And that's really due to this almost explosion in diversity. And in addition to diversity, I suspect storage or the storage of energy, if you will, Mm -hmm. plays a part in that. Why is it important and how does it actually work? Well, electricity is a very unique I'll say commodity because it can't be stored. Mm. Uh, it's very difficult to store it because it's generated in the moment that is the same moment it's used. So finding ways and new technologies to actually store electricity gives us much more flexibility mm-hmm. in how we use it and how we leverage it. So in other words, this, the solar panel is only going to generate about you know eight hours a day because the sun's only strong for that period. If you can store it and use it overnight, that would be fantastic. But you've got to do it efficiently. So that's where storage comes in. And I think the other component of that is for electric vehicles developing a way to put electricity into a car and then be able to drive it when it's not connected to anything, that's another form of storage. And using it when you need it. Exactly. Yeah, that's really a good way to think about it. So I know that people of PJM are really important, obviously. They're really the drivers in addition to the technology that your team has. And it's a good kind of uh, segue, what you were just sharing with us, into innovation. How do you and your team at PJM embrace innovation? How do you inspire your teams to really think about and remain focused on innovating for the future? That is key because certainly the power industry traditionally was thought of as a very lethargic industry, didn't really have a lot of innovation. For many years, it was the same. And this notion that we opened up not only commercially the system so that people could compete, But also, we opened up the system to all comers, meaning people could connect to the power grid in a more quick, efficient manner. So our notion was to open up, sort of get rid of barriers to entry and allow innovative companies, whether it be companies like Microsoft or companies like brand new startup companies coming in. So our way to innovate is to essentially analyze the system, say, where are the points of difficulty where people may not be able to access the grid, and let's get rid of them. So let's allow this innovation to, I'll say, bloom or blossom. Right. And we've been quite successful in that. It's been great. And you really have a deep, proud history of innovation. If memory serves correctly, I think it was 1962 was one of the first computers that was introduced through PGM 
to manage the energy infrastructure. Is that fair? It is fair. I think before that, by the way, you'd have a small, on top of a table, they have a small electric circuit that would try to mimic the power system outside, and that's okay. how they did it. They almost, it's called analog. And so we came up with this notion, again, I wasn't there at the time, but they came up with this notion of simulating it on a computer, and it was very rudimentary by today's standards. But today, I mean, we've evolved to where in real time, meaning instantaneously, we can look at, okay, if we lost a certain power line or a certain generator in some part of our, we know exactly what would happen to the system because our computers are so sophisticated. So it allows us, again, to innovate. I want to get into a little bit of the business operation. And I also want to learn a little bit more about Andy Ott as well, if you don't mind. Okay. But if I'm not being too forward, I know you mentioned that PJM is a membership organization. How do you guys generate revenue? What's your business model in order to you know return on your investment, if you will? So we actually operate, the primary company operates as a not-for-profit. So essentially, we uh, just pass through our costs to the members we serve. So effectively, each member then uh, would pay an annual fee to be a member and then a volume-based fee for different services they use. Some, our planning function is one service. Our reliable operation function is another service. The commercial markets that we operate, the commodity markets, if you will, power exchange is another service. So that's how we charge. So it's both fixed and volume-based. And really, it's just a recovery of cost. And our operating budget is around $300 million a year. Now, the revenue in the market, by the way, is about $50 billion a year. So you think about the you know, a very small cost to provide an enormous, I'll say, economic engine for the region. So really, that's the basis. We do have a small part of the company, though, that does not operate as cost-based. And so we are able to leverage and sell our technologies to other parts of the world, other regions. Then that money comes back to offset our members' costs. So so that's the profit center side, but the yep. profits don't come back to myself or my employees. They actually go back to the members who essentially birthed our company. What do you think is next for the energy sector? I see an increasing focus, if you will, not in the U.S., and certainly we've already seen this across the world, of cleaner, greener. You know, folks really care about, again, about the carbon footprint and the emissions. And I do see the power sector, this notion of using technology, using collaboration, and then also using the integration of distributed assets, distributed microgrids, you call them, also distributed renewable technologies. I really see that growing and continuing to function. The other big item, I do see electrification of transportation, whether it be personal transportation or commercial, I think you're going to see that explode. So I think you're going to get the electric demand actually growing and then offsetting, if you will, the use of liquid fuels. Mm -hmm. And that actually is a nice segue into what's happening here in the greater Philadelphia region. And we are very fortunate as an academic business and civic community here in the 11 county neighborhood of Northern Delaware and Southern New Jersey and Southeastern Pennsylvania to actually have PJM as one of our neighbors, as one of our corporate partners, nonprofit leaders in the energy sector. You're really leading the way in the energy space. And where I'm going with this is the clustering effect. And you mentioned the kind of explosion that we may expect in the coming years when it comes to electrified vehicles and other kinds of personal or commercial transportation tools. And we see some of that happening here in the greater Philadelphia region, whether it's a company doing a startup with an e-bicycle or pads that charge uh, buses, all being developed right here in the greater Philadelphia region. Do you see that as an accident, or is it just this natural collaboration and clustering of engineering minds? I think it's not an accident. So Pennsylvania, again, is blessed, or this region of Pennsylvania is blessed, again, with an enormous resource called shale gas. 
and this notion that you know the whole gas industry there's they're finding more and more ways to use the gas and so even smaller liquefaction area where they can liquefy natural gas in smaller chunks instead of these big liquefaction centers we can use that as a form of storage of energy storage which can also translate into the power grid so there's those kind of what I'll call collaborative sort of cross-sector if you will innovations that I think are occurring because this region is so not only academically accomplished but we have innovative companies the power companies, the gas companies, obviously PJMs, you know, on a larger scale, if you will, across many states. But this notion of companies really wanting to leverage this region, and I think the Navy Yard is a perfect example. You know, almost like an energy hub is developing. Whether we ever rival the Texas energy hubs, I don't know. But I think we have an opportunity. We really do. And in the spirit of collaboration, which is really at the heart, the foundation of PJM, going back to its founding in 1927. PGM is, I know, proud to be part of the Greater Philadelphia Energy Action Team, which is part of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia, Select Greater Philadelphia, producing this program on growing Greater Philadelphia, stories of innovation and transformation. It's really a convening of like-minded folks in the energy sector and professionals who support the energy sector. How important is it to you and your colleagues to be part of this, you know, kind of community-wide collaborative approach? Well, it's vital. For us, it's really us doing locally what we already do on a 14-state region, which is bring the best and brightest together in a collaborative environment and see how far can we push the innovation and the efficiency. What I see the benefit not only to PJM but to the region, I see, is this notion of, you know, we bring the power sector, but there's the gas sector. There's obviously you got the refineries with the, you know, the oil sector. I mean, so, and this notion of microgrids and innovation with storage technologies and potentially electrification of transportation. So there's all of that in this region and there's so many different dimensions and that's where I see the big cross-sector collaboration. So it's across industries, it's across the region. And like I said, we'll be the power experts, but there we have equalized partners on the gas, petroleum, et cetera, technology. You, you mentioned the universities. It's all here. Yeah. So the notion of, and like I said, if we can get to the point where we can come up with a way to have a sustainable development of offshore wind, then you have a, an enormous renewable resource. So it's just, a, I'd say, a hot spot for innovation. And it really does go to this notion of we're stronger, we're better when we work together than when we are in our isolated silos. And, you know, the naturalness of coming together, of leveraging relationships that you have in the energy space and in other professional service sectors really makes everybody a little bit stronger when you can pick up the phone and say, hey, let's work on this project together to advance not only our individual organizations, but collectively the region and maybe even beyond the region, to your point earlier about the 14 states that you operated in, but you also operate or at least collaborate at a national and an international level as well. Yeah. In fact, that's part of PJM's, of course, reputation as an international leader in this space. And in fact, I have folks calling me wanting to come and visit some of the innovations we're doing at the Navy Yard from places in Europe, places in Australia, just because they're hearing about kind of some of the stuff that's happening there. So this notion that Philadelphia could become a showcase for some of the microgrid type developments worldwide. So this notion that they would come in and we would leverage our own, I'll say, partnerships with folks from other parts of the world. And that's part of what we bring as you know, a big grid operator. PJM, President and CEO Andy Ott. He's our guest right here on Growing Greater Philadelphia. And Andy, I know you're also a proud Pennsylvanian. You grew up in central Pennsylvania in the Altoona neighborhood. Right. And a proud Penn State graduate in yes. the engineering background. Take us back to your time at Altoona and at Penn State. Did you ever think 
you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road, I don't want to make you too old, that you would be leading an organization that is touching so many people's lives in such specific ways? No, that was not part of my uh, my thought process at the time. I just wanted to get through engineering school. Right. And so I got through my engineering school as a mining engineer, frankly. And then I decided maybe electrical engineering would be better because I wouldn't have to go underground so much. Yeah, and, right. But then... Actually, I then my graduate work, by the way, was at Villanova. Okay. So I actually am also a Villanova grad in addition nice. to Penn State. So uh, certainly a Pennsylvania roots guy, but I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd end up uh, having the job I have. It's just been a tremendous ride and tremendous fun. What do you share with a young person today who's maybe leaving high school and going to college or just graduating from college? Maybe they have an engineering degree. Maybe college isn't for them. And they are thinking about working in this technical field of energy distribution. What do you share? What kind of advice do you share with a young person who's in that crossroads, if yeah, you will? Yes. Well, certainly don't limit yourself. In other words, look at opportunities. So certainly for me, one of the limiting factors was you got to learn to communicate. You got to be able to learn to articulate ideas. And for someone like me who was an engineer, it's not easy to talk to people or to write stuff down. Right. So this notion of don't avoid the hard stuff, you know, go ahead and take a risk and diversify yourself and don't create limits. What keeps Andy Ott up at night? I tell you, the growing risk, if you will, that, you know, bad people, criminals, terrorists essentially would attack U.S. infrastructure purposefully to try to disrupt our lifestyle. And again, whether it's the power infrastructure, the gas infrastructure, banking, mm-hmm. telecom, finance, yeah, that is real. And, you know, certainly, obviously wouldn't talk about details, but, the you know, we take that very seriously. I'm on several national boards, if you will, to deal with that because PJM, again, I don't know if I've mentioned before, 24% of all the electricity consumed in the United States is handled by PJM, so mm-hmm. that we're big. Yeah, um, right. So this notion that we have to protect our infrastructure, cybersecurity, physical security, it's a big deal. And I continually worry about those types of things. The good news We're well ahead of the game here, and I think we're doing the right kind of things, but there's always this risk. It's all about risk management, and we're really fortunate to have you and your team, your leadership team, and the experts at PJM to be thinking about that on our behalf to make sure it is secure. I have a couple thoughts that I want to get your reaction to. You can change one thing about the energy distribution industry, the energy space that you and your team work on. What would that one thing be? I think the notion that the systems need to be more build up to be more what we call resilient, meaning it used to be when the power grid got knocked down, it took a while to stand it up. And today, like I mentioned, I think it's much quicker. Mm-hmm. This notion of building the system so that it can jump back up more quickly and be much more dynamic and much more flexible. That's really, I think, the aspiration is to use the technology we have to become more and more resilient. So for someone who's listening and they're thinking about this conversation and they say, I never even heard of this organization called PJM before. What is that one thing that you would want people to know about when they think of your team? Again, we're there for you. We operate 24-7. We're like the airplane that never lands. We're always on. And we're essentially making sure that the power stays on and stays reliable on a regional scale. We're assisting, essentially, or working for on behalf of the utilities. So really, you know, this notion that you have a resource here that not every state in the union has, and essentially this notion that there are folks out there, your neighbors working to make sure that you have the power you need. I want to go back to an earlier part of our conversation about the founding of PJM, 1927. Why do you think that happened here in Pennsylvania, Jersey, Maryland, as the initials kind of indicate? But I know it's a subjective perspective, I suspect, but why do you think it started here and not somewhere else? Well, I think there were a combination of two things. You had three individuals, 
the heads of those three companies who had the vision. They had this concept of innovation and innovative vision. We're going to do something a little bit different. Because back then, you know, you had people like Edison and Westinghouse fighting each other, trying to decide, you know, who's going to dominate the electricity industry. And these guys are saying, well, maybe if we work together, we'll all dominate. Right. So that was the one thing I think was just those. The second, though, was I think this region, I think, you know, the notion of collaboration between New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, I don't think that wasn't a foreign thing because the population at the time, I think, wasn't interdependent. So mm-hmm. I think it was the growth of you know, this greater Philly region, as you say, or Southeast PA and uh, Southern New Jersey and uh, the Northern Delaware area, Delmarva, you know, this notion that they sort of liked each other and they wanted to work together. Yeah. Yeah. We call it the neighborhood, actually. There you go. We're all part of the same one big neighborhood of greater Philadelphia and northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, southeast Pennsylvania. And and yes, actually, Maryland is technically part of the MSA, according to the federal government, with Cecil County, Maryland, being part of the greater Philadelphia metropolitan statistical area. So they're part of the neighborhood, too. That's great. So, folks, we've been talking with Andy Ott. He's president and CEO of PJM Interconnection. They're headquartered right here in greater Philadelphia, and they service 14 states. They reach millions of people. There's lots of great fun facts about PJM, where they serve over 65 million people and reach uh, just over 243,000 square miles of territory. It's pretty incredible. And Andy, I really want to thank you for taking time out, not just to be part of this conversation, sharing with us insights about energy in the greater Philadelphia region and beyond, but also for your leadership in the greater Philadelphia community and helping us to maintain that innovation, but also that approach to collaboration. Again, I just deeply appreciate being invited to be with you today, and thank you very much. Hey, this segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to us by Independence Blue Cross. They're a proud sponsor of Select Greater Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross is the largest health insurer of the Philadelphia region, serving more than 2.5 million people locally and 8.5 million people in 23 states and Washington, D.C. You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Check out all of our podcasts and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. on Talk Radio 1210 WPA. Thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia.